podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Celtic State of Mind. It is a happy Monday. I'm Paul John Dykes and I'm joined again by Colin Watt and Natasha Mikkel. Welcome back, guys. It's been a couple of weeks since you were on, is that right? It has for me, yeah. Various things getting in the way, but I'm delighted to be back and joining you guys on a Monday to talk all things Celtic. And since I was last on, things have been going pretty well, haven't they? First cuff in the bag of the season, first of more than one, I'm sure. Um, A nice little win in Paisley, so yeah, all good. Yeah, I don't think I was the, the only one phoning in sick after last Monday. Um, but, you know, I'm sure... Did it feel like that, Colin? Did it feel like you were phoning in sick? You were yeah, coming up with some yeah. kind of excuse, but actually you were just feeling a wee bit rough. Is that right? Well, yeah, it was, I mean, a bit of both, you know. I had a, a wee holiday off work and celebrating the day before. I mean, we, we should be used to it by now with all these celebrations that we have, but... As you got older, you know, you know as well as us, Paul. As you got older, it takes a wee bit longer to go over them. <laughs> nah, it doesn't take you long to bring that up, Colin. But I did expect, to be fair, a couple of call-offs last Monday, so it was fine. We were prepared. Um, why are we leading me var when everything's going so well? I hear you ask. Well, I thought that after the match, uh, looking at the comments of Ange this morning, he did bring it up. He did give them the line uh, that we've used this morning, and we will talk about it. But obviously, we'll be talking about all that good stuff as well, because there is plenty of good stuff uh, happening. Should we start off with the VAR, or should we talk about some of the entertaining football, the, the brilliant second half? What do you think, Colin? I think you've got to start with the positives. I mean, Let's do that. They call it, what, two stars and a wish? Let's talk about the positives, and then we'll go into okay. wishing that VAR would just like bugger off. Okay. The first on the list, then, is Aaron Moy. Unbelievable. Uh, sets up three goals against his former side, actually. Um, and then he goes off for a, an early soak in the bath and maybe even a cigar after 74 minutes. I'm looking at him now. I've I've said time and time again, we all know how good Angie's recruitment's been, but I've con- constantly said that Joe Hart, pound for pound, has been our best signing. <laughs> On a free, the 32-year-old from Shanghai Port has now got nine assists, six goals, 35 apps. And he's been outstanding since the World Cup break. Um, some bit of business by Ange looking back on it now, Colin. Absolutely. I mean, I've got it. I said at the time, I thought it was a bit underwhelming signing someone like uh, Aaron it's not like you. It's not like you not to get it right, Colin. <laughs> uh, we all have a few blips in the record, you know. Um, but I remember the, the guys from Celtic Down Under saying, no, look, this guy will absolutely be a star for us. And... At first, it took him a bit of time to get into it, but obviously it had been a while since he'd played competitive football. Um, and he's just shown the class that he has. And he's such an influential player in that team now that it's like, if you see his name in the team sheet, a smile comes across your face because you know it's going to be a solid midfield performance. When he's not in that team, you're sitting there going, oh, it's not quite the same. And I remember saying after the, the game at Ibrox that, I thought the reason that we didn't control the midfield is because Aaron Moy 
wasn't playing. Um, and it wasn't until he came on that we actually got a foothold back in that game. And you take a look at the final last week, you take a look at the game yesterday, when he is on form, the midfield just gels so well. Um, and he's so important to that team that it's like, if you take him out of it, yes, you've got quality in the likes of O'Reilly and Hatati, but he just offers that something different that when you're coming up against teams that are sitting maybe 10, 11 men behind the ball, He's the one that can find that pass, can find that movement, that can break it all open. He's very much like Tom Rogic in that sense, except they are totally different. You'd expect Rogic to go in and fire shots from range to set up things. He's more of that sort of, you can't find, the defence can't find him because he's always moving. Even if it's not the quickest, he's always open, he's always finding the pass. He's just Mr Reliable in there. Yeah, he definitely is. And I think that when you look at the, the importance that he uh, now possesses for this side, Natasha, like Colin says, often you think he, he makes you tick. I remember going back to when we signed him, talking to the guys over in Australia um, and looking at the fact that we'd lost Beaton and Rogic. And I was asking, you know, what kind of elements of those games, those players' games rather, uh, does Aaron Moy have? It looks as though he possesses both. Yeah, I mean, his defensive work is brilliant. He, he breaks up attacks constantly. And then what he's got in the bag in terms of um, assists, shooting from distance, um, you, you know, you always think to yourself, even on the penalties, you're quite confident that he's going to put them away. And he has been a, a really shrewd move by Ange Postacoglu, hasn't he? A fantastic signing. Um, I will never get tired of talking about how brilliant... Aaron Moy has been for us this season. You know, when he came in, I do understand some of the doubt that might have crept in. He was a player who hadn't played very much football for a long period of time, but he'd already played at a high level. He was quality, he had quality, played at a high level, he had that experience. He just hadn't played a lot of football. So after a few games of settling in, I think we began to see very quickly what an important player he was going to be because of the quality that he had and the way that he added something to the middle of the park that we didn't currently possess. And since then, he's just got better and better. Um, his form leading up to the World Cup was good. He went away and had the World Cup experience with Australia, in which he performed exceptionally against some of the best players in the world. And he came back from that with the experience of having played at the World Cup, the confidence having, of having played so well at the World Cup, the lift from his country having done so well at the World Cup. He came and brought all that back to his Celtic performances. And he's just been absolutely fantastic you know and it's really given him that extra level I think to go and be one of the first names on the team sheet Matt O'Reilly was doing absolutely fantastically he was yeah. um, obviously when McGregor had to spell out it did move O'Reilly's position slightly and he never quite got back into his groove but it was going to take a lot to displace some of those midfield players and Aaron Moy made that happen just by the quality of his performances like Colin touched on he does give us something that we haven't or we didn't have when he came in. For me, it's it's his range of passing um, that, that he's brought that's absolutely unique to the middle of the park. His passing accuracy is just special, and it's so important to what we do as a team going forward. There was a moment um, in Paisley yesterday where we were relatively under the cosh at the back, and that's where he picked the ball up. And his vision for himself and for his other players and his range of passing allowed us to go from where he was not far from our own box to setting up an attack on the wide right just because of his movement, his vision, his range of passing that was just all so accurate. Um, and he started what proved to be a very good attack for us that we won a corner from. 
And that was just one example of the sort of thing that he's able to do and the sort of thing that he brings to the game. The, the way he controls the middle of the pitch, I think, like Colin touched on again, it, it's not just, you know, recent games. It's every time you see him play, you know that the tempo in the middle of the park is going to be what we want it to be. Because when he's playing in the middle of the park, he's the one that takes the tempo. Um, and I think that's absolutely invaluable. And like you say, he goes off at, you know, whatever minute it was yesterday, 60, 70, usually when, when he vacates the pitch. Um, after a very good day's work um, and he can another performance that he can be proud of. You know the thing is as well, Paul, it's like when Moy, he bring he allows the, the players around about him to play to their strengths as well. At times when we, we saw um, like Hitati having to drop into the sixth role or O'Reilly dropping into the sixth role, you could see it wasn't something they were overly comfortable in when Moy wasn't there. But because he has that link he can, as Natasha said, drop deep, pick the ball up on the edge of his box and create an attack. And it means that the likes of Hitati, O'Reilly, even McGregor can play their natural game and they can play it to the best of their ability because they know that if something gets beyond them, Moy's there to sort of sweep it up. And he's bringing the best out of the players around about him because they know he's so reliable in that sense. So we're seeing the likes of Hitati getting further forward, McGregor, O'Reilly starting to get the goals in, took a good one yesterday. So the players around about him are very comfortable in the fact that he's so reliable, you know, he's just going to recycle that ball, get it back to them and go forward, that they can concentrate on the strengths of their games and that the weaknesses don't get exposed. Yeah, and I mean, you look at where he was. Um, if you go back to when he signed for Celtic, right, he'd, he'd obviously made that move to the Chinese Super League. And, you know, at his age at that time, you know, 31 years of age, he's no longer uh, with a club. Uh, Shanghai Port, you know, I'm pretty sure that he made a few quid over there, but it was almost like a semi-retirement move, no disrespect to the Chinese Super League, but going from Brighton and Hove Albion after a number of years in English football. Um, and then you're maybe looking at your career, wondering if you will get back into the World Cup squad for the finals. And look at him now, he's playing and starring for Celtic, he's playing in the Champions League, he's winning trophies. He's actually turned um, around quite a lot of the fan base because, you know, I, I can only really go by the comments on our streams and on social media, but there was a lot of people, like Colin says, very underwhelmed that he's signing. And look at him now, first name on the team sheet, tremendous. And this jersey behind us obviously does have an Australian tinge to it. This is one of the Axom concept kits. It's an original kind of early 90s Adidas template and we've had the shamrock embroidered on it. That's going to be the price for subscribing. Simply um, subscribe to A Celtic State of Mind on YouTube and one of our subscribers will be getting that jersey. Uh, we'll also be announcing this week um, a couple of winners of the VIP tickets. The first winner didn't claim theirs and hasn't got back to us despite us um, shouting their name out a few times. Brassneck, they're still waiting for you if you want a couple of VIPs. If not, we'll give them to someone else. But this week, subscribe to the channel and you could be in possession of this vintage retro Adidas kit, which has an Australian tinge to it. We are going to be keeping it positive by moving on to Jota. I'm going to bring this wee, uh, mention up from Jungle Line. This was this morning, wasn't it, on Sky Sports, mm. where Dermot Gallagher comes in and um, he has a look at decisions and he gives a balanced view on it. He's watched this, the rangers Kilmarnock game and he's basically said that um, Rangers' penalty shouldn't have been a penalty and Kilmarnock's non-penalty should have been a penalty. So we could have called that to each then, right? Um, but it's interesting when you look at, at this with no bias, as a professional, you know, what, what the actual outcome is. And we're going to be talking about that 
once we get to the VAR because uh, the main man did bring it up. And we've also got the uh, Urban Culture back into the comments section. I loved how Boyd kept referencing Dallas as being on VAR and getting it right, a lame attempt at trolling us. Well, we keep winning. We'll be talking a wee bit about some of the media comments as well. Um, Jota, I thought he was not as bad as some of the comments made out. You were at the game, Natasha. What was your what was your take on Jota's first half performance? He didn't have his best first half. I don't think he, he was at his best. Um, I think similarly to the cup final, I think some of the wide play was a bit wasteful um, and wasn't as good as I've seen us be in previous games. I think Jota in the first half, he struggled to get by St Vinnens left back. It wasn't coming off for him, but... As frustrating as it was live, right, and the crowds are starting to get a bit angsty about it, he kept trying it, you know. He kept going at him and he kept going at him and he kept going at him. And, yeah, it wasn't coming off as well as it usually does for him. But I actually liked the fact that he kept going at him. Because I think with wingers, a lot of the time, you know, in the game, they try early on, they test the left back, they see what they're like. Can I get by you? Have I got the pace for you? Have I got the run of you? Jota didn't quite have this guy. But what I did like, like I said, is he kept trying. Because usually when that happens and it's not coming off with wingers, as the confidence goes, mm-hmm. you know, and they stop trying and they shirk that responsibility and they, you know, are then looking to pass it in field or pass it to someone else and not continue to try and get to the byline, try and get the cross in. And that's when the game plan goes a little bit because that's how we like to play. Um, and what I liked about Jota is that he didn't shirk that responsibility at all. He kept going, he kept at it, he kept trying. He switched wings like we tend to do. And... It came off, you know, eventually 56 minutes, it comes off, he gets his goal. Um, second half, he, I think it, it's a lot better for him. And I thought it was interesting as well that when Ange chose to bring a battle on, it was clear that Jota wasn't having his best performance in a Celtic strip. It happens. But Ange chose to stick with him. You know, he didn't hook him for a bad. I think that would have been a very easy option, would have been to mm. look at him thinking, you know what, he's not having his best game. We'll bring a bad on for Jota instead of Maeda, which is the sort of more regular switch. No, Ange stuck with his game plan. Again, it's the consistency of our play and consistency of our tactics. It doesn't matter what's happening in the game. It doesn't matter what the opposition are doing. There is this confidence <clears throat> that if we keep at it, that if we keep doing what we're doing, that if we keep our game plan as it should be, then it'll come off. And it did, again. And it's that it's that confidence that's come from the results and the performances and the way that we're playing. There's that confidence that if we just keep doing what we do and play our football, it will come off. And not only did that happened for Jota, it happened for, for the full team and it worked. So credit to Ange, credit to Jota and credit for the team to, for sticking to it. Yeah, you know, I'll take that wee step further because it's a great point that um, it would have been easy to hook him at half-time. I think the same could have been said in the League Cup final with Maeda. Mm-hmm. At half-time, you could have taken Maeda off. He turns out to be a very important player for us in the second half. And I think the same thing happened with Jota. But then, I said yesterday as well, Colin, Jota seemed to be right up for it in that second half, almost like he got a rocket at half time. I don't know what goes on in the dressing room, but he came out and it was like he was he was just willing to scrap and fight and, and get us back into the game. And uh, no one more than Jota seemed to to do that. You know, there's a part of his game there perhaps that we've not seen a lot of the time, and that is the one that's going to graft and dig in on days like yesterday. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, credit to Ange, he could have went wild and made three, four changes at half time and no one would have argued with him because the performance just wasn't up to, to scratch or up to the standard, the high standard that we've set so far this season. So obviously whatever was said at half time has clearly worked. We saw a sort of, as you say, a dirtier side or a, a more rugged side even of Jota's game in that second half. And that is credit to both Jota and to Ange because sometimes you know that You've seen it before. 
players are maybe not having the best game, they go into the dressing room, whatever's said in the dressing room, they come out and nothing works at all. And you find out years later when they come out and they say, this manager could never change my game, he could never help me, he could never. He just wanted to shout at me and it never helped him. Whereas you, you see the likes of Ange and Harry Kuehl and John Kennedy and all that, they, they seem very astute in how they do it. You'd never really see Ange losing the plot too much. They've obviously, everyone's obviously seen that clip for when he was the Australia manager, but I think that's very few and far between from the stories that you hear from players. I thought so, you were going to mention the wee meme that's obviously been doing the rounds. In the that's last a cracking years. one with Carter Vickers, but we'll get back to that. Um, but I, he's always one that everybody says, well, we need to look for a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. And we don't really have major differences between all these. But what you are seeing is when the game is getting difficult, then the players can sort of adapt to it. We used to say, all right, we'll put Giacomacchus on and that'll help in the sort of tougher games. These players are able to sort of adapt to who they're playing now and they change their style depending on the way that they've been told to play. So credit to both Jota and Ange for doing that. Obviously, it's not the first time I've seen Jota kind of scoring one of those sort of scrappier goals. I know he'd done it away at Pitodri as well. Um, But it was important that we got that one. You saw the importance in his face and the encouragement he was given as soon as he scored straight back to the halfway line it's not done yet let's keep going we yeah. need to keep going um and it's very very important that we see that in the players There's so often players can just let their heads go down when they're getting beat and if they score one it's like all right we're back in it let's just go back to where we were playing Celtic had that sort of they had that sort of like oomph behind them yesterday that they were we're not accepting this. We've been here before. This has happened to us before. Once we're back in this game, we're going for it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about Jota is, um, you know, the opposition crowd are really getting on his back. You know, booing every time he touched the ball. You know, that doesn't happen to him very often. Um, but they were really on his back, and he was thriving under it. You know, every time the ball was out of play, he was waving up the Celtic fans. He was really pumped. He was really up for it. Um, and that's something you don't see from him too often. Usually you see them, you know, he's enjoying his football. He's loving his checks and his flicks and he's enjoying his game. And I love that about him, um, how much he enjoys playing football, because I think that shows in the way that he plays. Um, but it was a slightly different test for him um, against St Mirren on Sunday with this sort of atmosphere and this sort of, you know, atmosphere around about him and when he was on the ball and he thrived under it um, mm. and it was a new test for him and he definitely stood up to it I like that side of him Yeah. And the thing about that as well is it shows the quality of the player mm-hmm. you see sometimes where there's like really good players that if the fans are on their back if the opposition fans are having a go at them they sort of crumble under you the can hide. Yeah. yeah. whereas Jota has obviously stood up and been counted for yesterday mm-hmm. and was mm-hmm. so important as part of that comeback so mm-hmm. it shows that he is someone who can handle the, the difficult situations and there's there's very few of them. I mean, even some of the best players in the world, I don't know if you managed to see that um, annihilation of the Liverpool Man United game yesterday, but Bruno Fernandes was an embarrassment to his team. He wanted to come off every time there was a sub made, every time there was a goal. He's walking about, his kind of hands are crossed. He's, it was one of those people that you were almost playing with a man down and some people, when they're under that pressure when they're getting abuse from their own fans, when they're getting abuse from their home fans, they will crumble like that. But as Natasha says, Jota stood up to the the cause yesterday and it shows a lot of his personality and his determination to prove his worth to the team. 
Yeah, he didn't hide. I, I was speaking, I found it quite interesting actually talking to an ex-pro who, um, because you don't expect this from professionals, like the, the example you've just given, Colin, um, players to hide. And people said, you know, this, this particular player said that some of his ex-teammates would hide in plain sight. It was like they would put their hands up, shout for the ball, but they're standing behind a defender, the boy, knowing that the ball was never going to be played. So they're, they're making out like they want to be involved, but they're actually hiding um, on the park. And I don't think that Ange Postacoglu would tolerate that. And Jota obviously showed um, that he has got the metal for it. Um, he did get us back into the game. Incidentally, he's never heard of Stephen Thompson. More of the media in Scotland later. That was a nice wee, uh, interview that he gave as well. Johnny Ryan, happy Monday. All It always is after a 5-1, a resounding 5-1 win. Um, Hoops boy, Liverpool trying their best to be Celtic by releasing a green Hoops kit. We'll be talking about kits very briefly later on in the show, but I have seen that one. It actually puts me in mind... Um, Various prototypes are made when a club is obviously given it the okay. And back in the day, I don't know if it was all graphic-based, but they actually used to um, make the kit. So they would make the kit and maybe give Celtic two or three options and they'd all be lying on a table. And when I was doing my research in the Celtic jerseys, I managed to get two prototypes, but I know that there are a few others out there. And back in the 90s, Gola were pitching for the Celtic deal. The Umbro deal was coming up. Gola, you know, that, that bastion of fashion was trying to get the, the uh, manufacturer's deal at Celtic. And they produced a range of prototypes. One of them looked extremely like that Liverpool kit, Colin. Mm -hmm. It was almost like a zigzag static hoops. Yes. And the other one, which I managed to get my hands on, ended up in the book, which was actually ridding us of the hoops. So thank God they didn't get the contract. Um, we are going to talk about uh, VAR. Get a couple of more comments in first. Keith, welcome to you again, all the way from Plymouth. And Mark is actually doing a fantastic project at the moment where he is travelling the length and breadth of the country getting ex-Celts to sign their page in my book. And it, and he's keeping everybody updated on Twitter. And it's looking absolutely tremendous. He's got some quality names in there already. And here we go, Natasha. This is one for you. I have no idea where Paddy's coming from. Good to see Natasha's not away on holiday for a change. Um, you do like you do like a wee jaunt here and there, don't you? What? No way. I have no idea where that comes from. Not listen, at all. <laughs> Paddy knows knows uh, your your movements. And um, Anjuan Var, he says, Var doesn't miss anything, especially with us. That's the tagline. And I just think, you know, like you said at the top of the show, just when you think that you might not have to go on about it, it comes back and rears its ugly head again. Natasha, um, we've been hearing what Gallagher said yesterday, Dermot Gallagher said about the, the Rangers' Kilmarnock decisions. What do you make of the big decisions yesterday in the Celtic game? Oh, it's just frustrating again, Paul John, that every time we come here on a Monday, we're talking about VAR more often than not. We're talking about whether the decisions were right, whether they were wrong. And it's usually, again, we're split on it. Um, or there's certainly some division over it online. And it's shown to me that it's not working. Because while there's still so much subjectivity and there's still so much debate, it's not working because it's not helping getting the clear and obvious errors out of the game because there are still errors, as we have seen across the weekend in multiple games. The ones for our game, um, you know, I think that the handball penalty that we gave away at the start of the game, I think that was right. Um, I don't have too many complaints about that. The, the frustrating thing, again, is on that one is coming back to fan experience. You know, the fan experience of that in the stand wasn't good. The game went on for how long before that was pulled back? Three minutes. I think yeah. it was three, three minutes. minutes. I mean, 
that that's ridiculous you know for, for, for a fan in the stand to not know what's going on and then to have it called back for that and the only way that we have any idea of what's happening is through updates on our phones yes the decision probably was right in the end i'm not arguing about that but in terms of fan experience var is absolutely killing it Mm. Um, so until we have a system that works efficiently, effectively with people in charge who are competently able to run it, then we shouldn't be using it in our league games. But we are. Um, and it's not an overnight fix. I think, you know, for me, the problem is that the people running it are not capable of running it effectively and efficiently. And until we address that problem, VAR is con- going to continue to fail. The idea in principle is absolutely fine. You know, I don't, I don't have too much of that an issue with that. It is just the way that it is being implemented in Scotland at the moment is absolutely killing the fan experience. And I can only imagine how bad it is for the players on the park and the managers on the touchline if it's this frustrating for the fans in the stand. So again, we've went over it and over it until we've ironed out these issues. It's not going to get any better. The problem is we're not investing properly in our referees. We're not investing properly in their training to make them better at their job, which they need to be able to do to implement this properly. And until we do that, we're going to face this every single Monday, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. See that first decision? I tend to agree with you, right? Looking back at it yesterday, and we spoke about it at half-time, correct decision, but it's right in front of the referee. You know, it's right in front of him, a few yards away. There's no obstacles in front of him, and he doesn't see it. So you get that, yeah, obviously, clear and obvious error. VAR can come in and sort it out, and that's fine. Am I right in saying, though, in that three minutes, if Celtic had gone up the park and scored, the goal is also disallowed? Yeah. That's it. That's that's when it gets to the ridiculous stage, Colin. You know, uh, and that is going back to what Natasha said because we're not using it properly. The officials those are not three, using it properly. Those three minutes are dead. Whatever happens in those three minutes, nothing really contributes to the game of football. Mm-hmm. But do those three minutes get added on? No, they don't. And you know, uh, and I'm not, I'm not having a go at Natasha here. What I'm saying is, what Natasha said there today. You go back three weeks, four weeks, you'll hear me saying the exact same thing. You go back six weeks, you'll hear someone else saying the exact same thing. But nothing has changed, and it continues not to change. I said before even VAR was introduced, it would be the worst thing to come into Scottish football. And we were told, no, it'll stop all this cheating, it'll stop all this, that, and the next thing. It's not. It's made it ten times worse. Mm. Ten times worse. It's I think pathetic. it's just made the bad decisions more apparent. I think it's yeah. just let us analyse them at a deeper level and brought them more into the public debate and brought more videos onto social media and things like that. So I think it's just actually increased the debate, if anything else. You know, there's still people this morning debating whether Kyogos was a penalty or was a free kick. Or, it's not helping. What, I, what I'm surprised at is you get this sort of delay of a couple of minutes when people are looking at goals. I watched the English Premier League highlights and stuff and it's almost instantaneous that they know whether it's offside or if it's a goal or if there's been a handball or something like that. The only one in that Liverpool game yesterday that was potentially brought up was the one, I think it was the sixth goal that Salah put in, and they checked for offside. And even that, when looking at it in the the light of day, he's he's a mile onside. So these sort of decisions are slowing down the game. As Natasha says, it's terrible for fan interaction. Mm. You go to some of these grounds, and unless there's a, a big screen... There's no way that you know that a VAR check's underway unless the stadium announcer says that it's underway. Do you think they even consider that, though, Colin, the, fa- the fan no, experience? Of course no. not. And the fact is, the clubs in Scotland now, if they can get away without using it, they will. 
you take a look back at the Scottish Cup ties that took place a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Inverness were at Livingston, and David Martindale says it's too expensive for us to run, so we're not going to use it. Yeah. So, if we can't, I'm not saying the whole league can't afford it, but for instance, you take a look at the teams that are potentially coming up from the Championship there this year. You've got um, Patrick Thistle, Air United, Morton, all in that uh, in Queen's Park. Park. Yeah, in Queen's don't Park, forget Park. That, that title race down there. Notice he said Morton, but he, he missed out <laughs> Queen's Park. Eh? If you're looking at ten thousand pounds for a game, and you've got twenty home games a season, mm-hmm. where does this extra two hundred thousand pounds come into the equation? For a team like Morton or a team like Air United, that's maybe half of their annual budget. So oh, it's huge. It's huge. And like you say, when given the opportunity, given the, the choice, managers or some managers would say no, they won't use yeah. it. So the the, the pro like as Natasha says and as we've all we're all now saying the referees have to be the first thing we look at. These referees are getting paid a thousand pounds a game to referee a game. And they're not just getting the assistance of their linesman. They're not just getting the assistance of the fourth official. They're now getting the assistance of another highly paid referee who's watching that game to make a decision. They've then got the chance to go and watch and see the replays that we had the benefit of seeing beforehand on a television screen to then have the chance to go and change their mind. And they're still getting them wrong. That cannot be allowed to happen. That is just sheer incompetence that we've got referees in this country that don't understand the rules of the game. And until that changes, we're just we're using this tool, which is when used in proper practice by highly trained individuals, works brilliantly. It's a great invention for football. But in Scotland, when you're giving it to guys that don't know the rules, what's the point? It's like, giving, lot- it's like giving the keys to a Ferrari to someone who's never passed their test. Or to it's, me. Great, it's great to have, but they'll never be able to drive it. Yeah, and I love how passionate you become because you can actually hear you prodding the table as you're speaking. Call. <laughs> Talking about rules, though, is it not the case, and I'm reading this straight from the rule book, if a defender starts holding an attacker outside the penalty area and continues holding inside the penalty area, the referee must award the penalty kick. Natasha, yeah. Matt, yeah. is that that's, that's the rule, that's, right? That's my reading of the rules, well. That's what it says. Um, right. Was it implemented at the weekend? No. So while the referees are continuing to implement the rules differently, then there's an issue. If they implement them consistently, whatever that rule is, is absolutely fine. They need to implement it consistently. consistently. And as we've seen with the handball rule, as we saw with Kyogo's yesterday, the rules are not being implemented consistently by the referees. And that's where the problem lies. No, for sure. It is definitely a problem. Um, Abada, I want to talk about Abada. Brian actually mm-hmm. comes in. Brian Walsh thought the officials got the VAR decision spot on. I get that because the Kyogo one, obviously, you've seen it on different various uh, angles and freeze frames. Was he on the line? Was he not? Etc. But yeah, I actually thought the ref got the second decision right first time round and it was uh, overturned, unfortunately. Abada, on at half time, we were talking before the game, Colin, around what does a player like Abada need to do now? to displace one of the wingers and get back into the side. Um, reading this morning, actually, quite interestingly enough, that he has played more or made more appearances than any other player under Ange Postacoglu. Um, although some of them have been, obviously, from the substance. <laughs> what does he have to do? He has to do what he did yesterday. He was absolutely superb. Very direct um, assist, goal. I thought that's the bad that, that we've seen a lot of last season. Not so much of this season. I'm, I've never written him off. I think he's a great talent. Um, is he maybe due a wee start on Wednesday night? 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he doesn't um, get the jersey on Wednesday night. I think he is one of those players, and I can't believe the question that Andrew's asked about him the other day. Um, surely anybody that's paid attention to Ange Postacoglu's press conferences know if you're going to ask a stupid question like that, you're going to get a stupid answer. Um, but, I mean, he is, what, 22 now? Uh, or 21? He's still young. He's still developing as a player. We all looked last year and we saw when Abada came on the park, within a couple of minutes you could tell whether he was going to have a great game or he was going to be totally anonymous. Now he's contributing more often. We talk about consistency from wide players. If you can play consistently well, you'll keep the jersey. Yeah. And I think Maeda and um, Jota so far this season have been very consistent. You take a look at not even just Abada, but the performance of Haxabanovic yesterday. That was something that would suggest he would be able to get in and in years gone by, if someone came off the bench and put in a performance like that, you would automatically see them in the team the next game. But the way that Ange is, he is very loyal to certain players, but they, they reward them with that loyalty. It's not like going back to, and I, I don't like bringing it up too much, but going back to the behind closed door season, we were screaming for players to get given the chance, and it was just a loyalty towards them players that Neil Lennon showed that kept them in the team. But now, with everybody pushing everyone for a jersey, the competitiveness of the team is brilliant. So you know that if there's a, an injury, someone's not just coming in out the cold, they're coming in having played half an hour for the last three or four weeks to come in and play. So, yeah, I'm I'm thinking you'll get a shot on Wednesday because Ange just mentioned that he's going to rotate the squad for the next couple of games. Mm. But you keep doing that, that jersey's yours to win. And long may that competition continue because it's great for us. Mm-hmm. I'd rather see two or three people competing for a jersey playing at the top of their ability than you having to go, oh, he's the best of a bad bunch. Do you know what I mean? Like five goals yesterday, some 250 goals in 99 games. I know, I know. It's, what more could you it's ask astonishing. for? Five different goal scores yesterday. Yeah, it definitely is. Jungle Lion thinks that Abad is a better impact player when fullbacks are tired. Um, and we've also got TB1. Wouldn't surprise me if he has bulked up. I certainly noticed a, a complete change in the physique of um, Hatati when he came back from pre-season, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. Natasha, what's your take on it? Um, probably for Maeda at the moment for me. I think he probably should get a start on Wednesday night. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Abada come in. It wouldn't even surprise me to see Haksibanovic come in. And I think one of the things that is driving the high performance levels across the team at the moment is the quality from the bench. Um, we've touched on it before, but the way that we are able to maintain our levels of performance despite making multiple substitutions is really, really important in the way that we're able to see out games, the way we're able to pick up points so consistently and keep everyone's levels so high. You know, we're making five substitutions every game and we're bringing on players who are then going on to have a real quality 30 minutes. If that's the person that you've been substituted for and they're coming on and having an outstanding 30 minutes, that's driving your levels up as well. And the player that's coming on for those 30 minutes is desperate to get the starting position the next week. So their performance levels are really high. And like Colin mentioned, that competitiveness is what is keeping the performances so high at the moment. Um, You know, you look at Sunday and again, it's the usual usual substitutions. We're bringing on quality like Haxibanovic, Abada, O, Awata, O'Reilly. We've said it before, but those players walk into every other team in the league. You know, mm-hmm. they're starting 11. Um, and I think the difference this season, compared to even last season and certainly through the seasons before that, is that our subs aren't weakening us. Our subs aren't 
keeping the quality, they're keeping the strength. And in a lot of cases, they're actually improving us. Our performance levels can go up when our substitutes come on. And that's a remarkable achievement. And it speaks volumes to how good the quality we have on our bench is. And of course, we're bringing them on at 60 minutes and the opposition are getting tired because more times than not, they've spent the majority of the last hour chasing the ball and chasing the game. And it's something that I've mentioned before and everyone's mentioned before in this show is that can you imagine if you're a fullback who has spent 60 minutes defending solidly against Jota who switches with Maeda and they've got to defend solidly against him and finally you see them getting taken off and Celtic are bringing on Abada and Haksabanovic you know that's demoralising for any team and I think it probably accounts for why we do tend to score so many goals in the last half hour of games is because we're able to keep the, the level and the performances so high despite making all these subs and that if this five sub rule has benefited any team, it's, it's benefited Celtic because we have that quality and depth that sort of sets us apart. And what it, what it, it is what is setting us apart at the top of the league at the moment. I was going to say, I heard a great point on the radio yesterday. I can't remember who said it, but they were saying if you look back, even at the Celtic teams under the likes of Brendan Rodgers, Martin O'Neill, even Neil Lennon and the sort of great years that we had with him, when it got to like 3-1, you could see teams taking the foot off the gas and they just would kind of cruise out to that victory. They might get another one, mm. but not, not Ange Postacoglu's Celtic. It's almost as if they're taking absolutely no risks at all. We score as many goals as we possibly can in a game and we go to entertain people throughout the whole 90 minutes. There was times where you were like, right, it's 3-0 up, 75 minutes, we're just going to coast out the rest of this game. We might create the odd chance here and there. Celtic have scored the most goals in the first 15 minutes and the most goals in the last 15 minutes across the league. And it's not always last-minute winners. Yes, we've got the ability to go and do that, but we score. We, we make 2-0 games, 5-0 games in the last 10, 15 minutes of a game and kill the teams off. And it's so encouraging to see because how many times have you went to a game of football and you're like that after 3-0, you're like, right, that's it, game's done. Whereas with this team, you just never know what's going to happen. And as Natasha says, you're bringing these players on and previously they'd maybe just see out the game. Not now, they're desperate to go on, they're desperate to score, they're desperate to prove themselves. Yeah, desperate for the so jersey. We're, we're keeping that going for the whole 90 minutes and that's the best part about what we're seeing just now. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to actually pull up a game from last season where we went to um, Paisley. It was the 22nd of December. Uh, 21 and we drew none each with St Mirren. The reason yeah. I'm doing this is because uh, Natasha was talking about the quality that you've got on that bench. I'm going to tell you what the bench was that night, right? So it was Taylor, McCarthy, Shaw, Henderson, Montgomery, Hazard and Juranovic. So and nothing each, right? And you're looking to make a breakthrough and you look at that bench, you're asking yourself, where's my options? Where's my creative options, There's my offensive difference. options? You know, that is a difference. And we started that night that our two wingers were Johnston and Muffet. If you and think Abada back to that. in the middle. Wow. Abada went through, the, uh, he was up top. So that, that shows you the difference. And that's not, that's just over a year ago, Natasha. It's incredible. I think every transfer window is key when it comes to Ange because what he continually does is not only does he ship out players that we need to move on, but the quality he brings in. I still don't think we've seen the quality yet of Awata um, or uh, Kobayashi. And we have seen a wee bit of Haksabanovic and he seems to be a bit of a fan's favourite already. But we've got four players there that could make a huge impact between now and the end of the season. And they're almost like 
you know, they're not a Turnbull and O'Reilly guys that we know. It's ones that we're still still to see a lot of. But that just shows up just over a year ago, and that shows you how thin the squad was going into that transfer window. Colin, see if you take a look at the team that actually lost at St. Mirren this season. I'll give you a second to bring that up. But the only one that started that game yesterday was Greg Taylor. Good Outfield point. player, I believe, was Greg Taylor. Right. Now, even in a season, to see the difference in that mm-hmm. is unbelievable. I know. We had 80% possession that day, by the way. Yeah. Two yeah. shots on target they had and they scored two goals. <laughs> you take a look at the defence that played that day. I think it was Jens and Welsh. They were a centre-half. One's not at the club anymore. Hart, Ralston, Taylor, Welsh and Jens. Midfield was McGregor, Moy and Turnbull. And up top, Abada, Kyogo, Maeda. So that was the starting lineup. Um, but unfortunately on that day, I just didn't think that the subs that came in, uh, O'Reilly, Hatati, Yakamakis, Haksabanovic and Yota made a, an impact, whereas now they're making a massive impact. Uh, regardless of who's coming on, they're making a huge impact. So, um, yeah, good point. Paddy Lavery, here we go. Um, I don't care what anyone says about his portrait. I still think <laughs> Kevin Graham is a legend. I don't know what the conversation's been going on here regarding Kevin's portrait. But Kev's portrait is brilliant, says Roddy. I, I've got to back him up. So Kevin uh, was down in the Greenock CSC a couple of weeks ago. We have a an annual Tommy Burns supper um, where we get some of Tommy's family coming down. We raise funds for the foundation. Um, and Kev did a bit of his uh, Rabbi Burns impersonation, um, doing some Celtic poetry in the, the style of Tommy Burns. And um, I believe there were certain people that walked out saying that some of his poetry left a tear in their eye. So, yeah, it was very, very... It wasn't bad, it was very good. <laughs> they weren't crying because how bad it was. It was crying because how emotional it, it made them. So, yeah, well done, well, Kevin. And his book's well done, done very, Kevin. very well as well. Continues to do so. Um, I know I watched Martin O'Neill leading, leaving the venue last Saturday holding a copy of Kevin Graham's book. Brian Walsh, big call. That That is because Kev had put it in his pocket, of course, um, <laughs> when he wasn't looking. Big call by Ange, taken off Maeda for Abada. He could so easily have gone for Jota. Exactly. I think credit is due both to Abada and the gaffer for making the right decision. Now, I want to talk about Alistair Johnston. He is turning into an Axon favourite. Um, now, I know you guys are of a younger generation, Natasha and Colin, but back in the day, and there's going to be people in the comments section, will remember for fans of Rick Mail, who was one of the best comedians in the UK um, of all time, I would say. He played a character in a show called The New Statesman from 87 to 94, and it allowed you to use a specific word probably before the watershed because his name was Alan Bastard, MP. And I think that sometimes in Scottish football, you need a wee bit of a bastard in your team. And Alistair Johnson's got that quality where he doesn't care if he gets in about the faces of the opposition. Um, Actually, there might have been an argument that he was climbing at the back post, but who cares when you're celebrating the goal? Um, He's tough, he's combative. And by the way, these are all qualities I think that Ralston's got sitting on the bench but Alistair Johnson since he came into Scottish football looks like a perfect fit Natasha he does um, he's just settled in so so well um, and he seems to have settled in well on the pitch and settled in well off the pitch um, he seems to be one that's always putting himself forward for the media duties for the social media duties um, 
And I think it's just because he's genuinely enjoying his time here. He seems to be a guy who's really passionate about his football, who's really passionate about um, playing games and fans and the support. And while I appreciate that there was that to an extent and it's where he's been playing previously, it's probably the first time he has experienced this level of passion from a support and from a country. And now he's in a country that the vast majority of people share the passion for the sport that he does. And that's probably a new thing for him. And it looks like he's absolutely thriving in it. It looks like he's relishing it. Um, he's enjoying the football. He's enjoying the experience. He's enjoying the fan engagement and good for him. Um, and that's only one side of it as well. His mm. performances have been absolutely excellent. He's come in. He was absolutely thrown in the deep end. As we know, he, he managed very, very well in that game, put in a really competent performance. And he's continued to grow from there. And he's becoming one of the most important players in our team and like you've touched on I absolutely love his fight I love his attitudes and we saw it particularly in the cup final as well when there was you know a couple of relatively robust tackles put in on his teammates that both resulted in a yellow card it was Alistair Johnson that was there sticking up for them before anyone else and I love that size of him like you say we need a player like that and he is becoming that player and so he's given us that side to, to his game which I don't think we've got too much of in, in the team so he's bringing that and he's bringing in a very capable replacement for a player that we all thought was going to be difficult to replace you know Juranovic was he probably didn't have his best season just before he left but he was a really important player for us he was one of the you know more quality players in the side he was very reliable in terms of his performance and it's hard to replace and not only did we manage to replace that we replaced it before Juranovic was even out the door um, which Juranovic has obviously been talking about in the media over the course of the week but we managed to do that and we managed to do it with a replacement who's just fitted in so seamlessly. As the ladies for him to, to get his goal on Sunday, which I'll also give him as well. Um, we'll, we'll let him take credit for that one. Um, and you see it in the celebrations. He not only, you know, he loves a goal. He's, he's spent plenty of time celebrating other people's goals. So I'm very happy that he got to celebrate his own on Sunday and I'll give him it as well. Aye, definitely. I mean, I kept saying this. We, we struggled for right backs for ages. Colin didn't like Maurice Bauer. I don't know why. But we had loads of right-backs from Lustig. We'll get back to him later because he's coming back to Glasgow. Anyway, Bruni. Um, and all of a sudden, Colin, I've now got two. And they can play. This is the thing. We're going about Ralston. But, you know, Ralston, with regards to his, his delivery, maybe even better than Johnson in that respect. His crossing might be better than Johnson's. There was a few moments during even the first half where I felt our only outlet was Johnson to Jota and he seemed to get the ball behind the defender, put the defender on the back foot, did that quite a few times with Jota. He seems to be creating a real relationship up the right-hand side with him. Um, I've been hugely impressed. I don't think he's had a bad game, Colin. No, definitely not. And I think some of the... There's probably a couple of things that contribute to why he's been um, slotted in so well into this Ange Postacoglu team. When he was going through the college system in Canada, he was playing central midfield. So being an inverted fullback in that and system, drifting inside kind of suits him a bit more. But you're also seeing him with that sort of overlappingness as well. And that comes from the fact that he's adopted that right back position almost naturally. So fair play to the coach that picked up that he could play in that position. It's very difficult because we've seen some players try to play a different position from where they're naturally um, kind of used to playing. So he's not been a right back for all his career is something that he's grown into and for me he's just showing the Canadian in him I mean I'm sure he was a massive ice hockey fan when he was growing up just like myself 
you know, in ice hockey, they've got the, the old enforcer. He's coming across as the enforcer of that Celtic team. That if anyone gets into any sort of bother, and he said it himself, if someone's going to have a go at my teammates, I'll be there to back them up. And that's exactly what you need. So For so long, we've seen kind of players getting rash tackles or play, players trying to get bullied off the park. And teammates would just kind of stand there and let the referee deal with it. Alistair Johnson's the first one in there. And if there's anything ever going down, you know that you've got Alistair Johnson behind you. And the way he celebrated that goal, flexing the muscles, I'll have him and my team any day. Nice uh, ice hockey reference. I know you're a fan, Colin. Who do you support? The Glasgow clan and Glasgow the Pittsburgh clan. Penguins. <laughs> Great name. Um, is the Fife Flyers still a thing? Yeah, we gubbed them at the weekend. All right, nice. Uh, no, a massive fan, but hey, listen, if you want to call him the enforcer, I'll take that every day of the week. Back in the days of the Quality Street Gang, uh, David Hay was called the Quiet Assassin or the Silent Assassin. We are now 11 subscribers away from 20,900, so if you want to win this jersey behind us, uh, just subscribe to the channel and uh, be part of this this Axom thing, and you will be in with a chance of winning the jersey. We've been talking about the impact of the subs and the group of players that um, I have been going on. By the way, Colin, you used the word there, overlappedness. Brilliant words. Not sure if it is a word. But we'll, see if, uh, we'll, we'll see if Kevin Graham can fit it into a poem. Overlappedness. There we go. Um, sub, um, we know what you mean, though. Avata, O'Reilly, Haxabanovic, O and Abada. We've seen the impact of the subs because three of them scored. What do we make of O's run up for the penalty, Natasha? Do you know, it was funny, um, in the stand, watching him, you know, stand up to take it, there was a collective sort of, oh, as he did that bizarre hop and jump thing before he got to the ball, which was quite comical. Um, not the best penalty in the world, a strange run-up, but did it go in the net? Yes, and that is all that matters. So I'll take it. I'm not sure I'll have him on penalty just going forward, but I'll, uh, I'll take that one. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've seen the likes of... Uh... The players down south that step up like Jorginho to kind of run up and obviously the famous one from, was it the Euros or the World Cup? It was Zaza for Italy and I think it's still somewhere in the atmosphere just now, the way they put that over the bar. Um, but do you know what? It'll be good for his confidence. Even if he doesn't take another penalty again, even if we put Moy back on them, then having him put the ball in the back of the net, his first league goal, it can only do wonders for him. So... Yeah, it doesn't matter, as Natasha says, it went in the net. So, good good for him and, uh, yeah, oh. Brilliant. Well, those players I've been talking about, oh, um, Awata, Haksabanovic, uh, and also Kobayashi, guys that, you know, there's a lot of game time left from them, certainly between now and the end of the season. I look at that for acquisitions. You look at the prices we paid for them, virtually nothing. Um, and then you look at a wee bit forward to the next transfer window, because as we've said already, Ange is very active and very successful in the, in the uh, transfer windows. But something we spoke about the other week there was the amount of players calling have got out on loan, 12 players, and very few of them are going to be coming back, you know, we could have a, a whole show debating who would come back and who wouldn't. Most of them are not coming back. But there's a few players on the outskirts of the Celtic side as well, like the aforementioned Welsh, McCarthy, um, Connor Hazard, who, you know what, they're not going to be playing much games. They're not going to be contributing. And you look at that situation where we could actually have double figures players leaving the club before we get to any shocks, by the way. Um, and if you can replace that 10, 11, 12 players with three or four, like that group we've just mentioned that, that came off the bench, then again, it takes that score to another level again. Yeah, and it's something that we have to 
be very aware of coming into um, this next window because if you take a look at the potential list of players we could be missing in January, yes, you can ask for the postponement of games, but um, I think if you listen to Ange, he's, he's just concentrating on getting the league games done. But you're talking the likes of uh, Maeda, uh, Kyogo, Awata, O, uh, Moy, all these players, Hatati, that have all been so influence, influential in this team and why they're playing so well. We could be without them for up to a month in January uh, because of the Asian Cup next year. So you take away basically your two strikers, you take away your midfield. We do need to bring in these players and we need them to be like up to the standard of the signings that um, Ange has made so far. So we're talking about that third striker in January. That has to be a priority now in this window, is to get or the next window coming up, is to get a third striker. Um, so that if two of them go to the Asian Cup, you've got someone that you can rely upon. There is, there would be that thing where you could call off the games. Yep. Say you're calling off two or three, maybe even four games. It just gives your opposition a chance yeah. to get the points on the board. And as we've That's seen yeah. across the seasons, having the points on the board and making the other teams chase, it gives them bigger problems. So I think January, as you say, will move maybe nine, ten of those players out. But I wouldn't be surprised if someone like a Yeti get another chance just because if we couldn't get a third striker in. That's that's the things we're talking about. Even the likes of Mikey Johnson, he's played pretty well when he's been in Portugal. Some of these players will get another chance. Some of them we're going to have to bring in players right away. So the headline from today then is uh, Colin wants a Jetty back. Moving on quickly. <laughs> Natasha, there is a comment coming up. Why did the girls lose yesterday? And it was obviously part of my plan to speak about this because it was a massive game. And you yourself going from uh, Paisley to the game at the Excelsior Stadium. Uh, so you took in two yes. games yesterday. Get, bring, bring us bang up to date with the Celtic women's team. Yeah, of course. Um, no, great. It was a double Celtic day yesterday, um, which is good, yeah, obviously from Paisley to, to Airdrie. was hoping for two lots of three points, but unfortunately it did not happen. Um, the girls also went a goal down and didn't manage to bounce back in the same way that the men did. Um, it was always going to be a difficult one. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> going into the tie, Glasgow City were three points ahead, but Celtic had better goal difference, so a win would have seen the girls go top. Glasgow City are a very good side. It's always going to be a difficult game. Um, the only league defeat of the season so far came from Glasgow City earlier in the season when we played them um, at Peters Hill. It was, again, a very narrow 2-1. We lost a goal in the 90th minute to lose that game earlier in the season. And I thought they were particularly unlucky yesterday, to be honest. I thought it was a very, very tight game. We uh, lost our sort of key attacking threat, Tasha Flint, um, had to go off through injury and then we lost a goal in quick succession following that and we didn't play as well as we usually do we weren't really creating quite enough we weren't testing the Glasgow City keeper quite enough um, and City were very dangerous from set pieces and it, game finished 1-0 to Glasgow City I think a draw was probably a fair result I think we deserved something from that game we certainly had the opportunities but we just weren't able to convert and as you'll have seen if you know you've been keeping up to date the goals have been flying in in recent weeks you know there was a 7-0 midweek there was a 3-0 against Rangers they are in very good form they're in great goal scoring form it just didn't quite come together yesterday um, so Celtic um, are now six points behind Glasgow City still point clear of Rangers 
And we've got one more game before we go into the split. So we play Hibs at Medal Bank um, this weekend coming, and then we go into the, the split. So there are still two games to go against Glasgow City. So it is still very much in our hands if we can keep up our, our current form. Um, it's, it's a big ask, of course it is. You know, Glasgow City are a very good side. Prior to last season when they didn't win the league, prior to that, they'd won 14 in a row. So, you know, they are very good at seeing out a league win. A league title is going to be a very difficult challenge, but, you know, the girls are still very much capable of doing it. Um, the games post-split are going to be very important. But what was great to see was the was the support again along at the Excelsior on Sunday. I think the Rangers game, there were circa 1,500 there. There were certainly over 1,000 there yesterday. So the crowds are improving and it is having a really positive impact on the girls. Um, so definitely encourage people to go along and get them and get their support, get behind the girls and give them this push as they are looking for, for the league title. I think yeah. it's a bit of a mental thing with Glasgow City and Celtic. I think if you took a look at the two teams on paper, Celtic have definitely got the players in that squad to, mm-hmm. to beat Glasgow City, uh, and they've done it in the cup competitions as well, but there always seems to be a thing that when it comes down to the sort of league games, it's almost a case of always the bridesmaid, never the bride. When it comes down to it, they always just seem to come up short. So yeah. I think if they once they get that sort of first victory over them in the league, we could maybe see the momentum change, but um, I'm sure Fran will be studying over the tape from yesterday and looking to see where they can make the improvements. Is he still wearing that white blazer, by the way? He doesn't every game. No, no, he's very, a very smart black jacket because the weather in Airdrie yesterday, for anyone who happened to see it on TV, I can assure you it was worse in person. Um, there was a nice hail storm at one point. I'm not sure the white blazer was the, the perfect outfit choice for we, that. We, sh- we should maybe give away our white Fran blazer as a prize, maybe after this <laughs> this shirt here behind us. Um, we've got Jedi67, Haksabanovic on from the start on Wednesday. It would be interesting to see him getting a few starts, but it's just a case of who drops out because uh, some of the guys have been on great form and Johnny Ryan, massive clear it required in the summer. It is, actually, but most of the players have been inherited by Ange Postecoglou. There's just one wee point I'm going to mention here. Um, it's easy to say the media, and that just includes every single member of the media, and I don't like doing that because I think there are some real uh, quality pundits, journalists out there. Um, but I just think that you know, there was a few comments made over the weekend whereby we should be beating teams because of our budget. And that really bugs me because it's lazy. It's a lazy narrative. Um, and I, I go back to you know just this week, Colin, or last week rather, uh, we celebrated 29 years since the takeover. That's three decades of managing the club properly to be allowed and to be able to have the budget that we have gained ourselves. No one's waved a magic wand and given us the money. We've went out and earned it as a football club, as a well-run, tightly-run business um, with, with proper recruitment strategies. So when I see that argument, I just think, no, I'm sorry, that's just a lazy narrative. That hack that you're talking about is just a bitter, twisted little man who hates seeing success from the green and white hoops, whether it be the team in Leaf or the team from the East End of Glasgow. He's making excuses left, right and centre and it just suits his narrative to post what he wants. Um, But when it's the other way about, for example, when uh, Rangers were beat quite heavily this season off of Liverpool and off of Ajax, it was nothing to do with budgets. No. Or if Rangers put eight past the team, it's nothing at all to do with budgets. There was a good point made again on the radio yesterday where someone said the likes of 
Hibs, Aberdeen, they probably have twice the budget of the likes of a St Mirren or a Livingston. Does that mean that they should be beating them convincingly every week as well? Never seem to bring that bit up. So, uh, yeah, you and Murray, if you're listening, if you're not listening, who cares? But everybody sees right through the kind of facade you're trying to put on. You're just trying to get clickbait, create a story, sell papers if you still sell the paper these days. Nobody's really taking you seriously anymore, pal. I just think, again, it comes down to the football teams, um, Natasha, whereby, as I said there, Celtic have been a well-run business for 30 years almost. Um, I remember doing an event up at uh, Greenock. What was that for the 25th, was it? 25th, yeah. 25th anniversary. Um, And we really should celebrate uh, Fergus McCann's takeover when the 30th anniversary comes around. But you've got football clubs who are now on their third manager of the season. Everything they do is short-termism. It, it looks sometimes like they don't have a three-month plan, never mind a three-year plan. So I, I just think, let's not criticise Celtic for being well-run. Let's have a look at the clubs who, really, when you look at them as a business, they're shambolic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the other thing that frustrates me about the you have a bigger budget, you turn up and win, it's absolutely not the case. The bank balance and the budget does not determine whether you win a football match on any given day. Yes, you might have better quality players available to you to put out on the pitch on any given day, but you still have to go there with with a plan, with a tactic, with you know a game plan, game management. Ange doesn't get to turn up every weekend and we win just because we've got more money in the bank. That's insulting to the work that goes on by him and by his staff and by the players on the pitch. And it absolutely does not have any relevance to the outcome of a game other than it does enable us to put better players on the pitch. But saying that that means that you turn up and win takes away the credit that is due to the player's performance and the management's work throughout the week. And the examples of that are already out there. Man United have spent three, four times the money that Liverpool have spent. Get beat 7-0. Man City spend millions upon millions upon millions. Never won the Champions League. Chelsea spent over 300 million this year. They're in 10th place. We spent a fortune chasing the 10 came miles short. It's not always about the money. So, you take a look at it, and as I said, Hibs have got twice the budget of St Mirren, so have Aberdeen. Why are Aberdeen playing so poorly? Why are they on the third manager of the year? Why are Motherwell playing so poorly? Mm-hmm. You see, it, it all comes down to how you spend that money, and Celtic have spent that money extremely wisely. The players that we've brought in have been a success. We've not wasted that money on Durange. Even the players that haven't hit the ground running, the likes of James McCarthy, didn't cost us anything in a transfer fee. We've not went out and spent a lot of money that we didn't have to begin with because we've made our sort of um, policy and our strategy to be that we buy it in, we sell and we reinvest. We don't go out and spend money that we've not got. So, One of the other examples, Colin, um, that I found was when I was talking to... uh, two prominent BBC pundits about Scottish football. And when it got to the subject of Queen's Park, one of their attitude was, that's all right because they're just chucking money at it. But if you look at it, the most they've ever spent on a player has been from the junior ranks. They've not been chucking money at it. What they've done is they've got, they've actually got an infrastructure in place whereby the staff behind the scenes have been very carefully and shrewdly selected so that they've now got a situation where they've been if there has been an investment, it's been in data analysis and youth development. But it's just this, you know, it's, it's a really lazy narrative to say that's all right for them because they've chucked money at it. I bet you if you were to look at what's actually been spent 
to try and get out of that division. There's other football teams who have spent much more than, than Queen's Park. You take a look at Falkirk. Falkirk allowed so much money into that team and ended up in League One. And you take a look at everyone's favourite um, fairy tale story of this year, Darville, and fair play to them for getting as far as they did. But you take a look at their wage budget and how much money that Mick Kennedy and the chairman are putting into that club. And you know what? I like to see a team with a bit of ambition. I like to see teams putting a bit of investment into it. But let's not kid on that it's not because they can afford to pay a bit more than everybody else that they've been able to attract these players. At least these teams are open and honest about it. And as you're saying, they're investing in the right areas. Mm-hmm. Queen's Park looking to build their own stadium, looking to invest in the structure below. Darville have probably got one of the best pitches in Scotland watching those last couple of games. They're encouraging players that want to play proper football to go there. So instead of going on about buying success, look at where teams are wisely spending their money and not teams that are throwing money down the drain, bringing in players that have been recommended by this person and that person, they've never seen them play, and they're going to flop. Well, Rangers have lost £120 million in 10 years and only won one league and one Scottish Cup. So there again, there's another argument. But um, thank you, everybody, for getting involved. Monday afternoon, we've hit the 800 live barrier, which is tremendous. We've got a wee update from Natasha on the Celtic women's team. And we've got a prize behind us, a very Australian-tinged prize in homage to Aaron Moy, uh, the best ball that he played for Celtic since who? Tommy Gravis? <laughs> Henrik, that was shaved, though. I mean, yeah, well. that's different. You know, my age... Probably. grew up that way. Probably. Yeah, he was 12. <laughs> right, okay, we'll, we'll go with Big Dan Mastorovich then. Oh, there you go. Big Dan, there's one. I think that's right. Um, and he was better than Gravison as well. If you want to be in with a chance to win that jersey, just subscribe to us on YouTube. We do have a brilliant um, event coming up, actually, with one of the boys from Seville. Here he is. 20 years on. How incredible is that? 20 years since we were in the UEFA Cup final. And Alan Thompson will be joining us live on stage for an audience with. It's at Gracie's and tickets, some tickets, not many, are still available in the link underneath this particular broadcast. So thank you, everybody, for getting involved. And all that's left for me to say once again, Colin Watt and Natasha Miko, thanks for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Network.